The Sons of Liberty is a politically neutral organization. We believe that the Judeo-Christian ethic has provided the principles upon which this nation was founded. It is our belief that these principles provide not only the foundation and framework for American government and society, but are also essential to the maintenance of a fair and just society. All program content is based on a Christian biblical worldview. One of you said to me recently that we shouldn't rock the boat. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I want to tell you that I am a boat rock. Good day, America. Welcome, Christians, conservatives, constitutionalists, liberals, libertarians, communists, Islamists, LGBTQ, RSTV, WXYZ people, all the boat rockers in the house, and anybody else I may have missed, to the Sons of Liberty radio show here on Red State Talk Radio, where we use the Bible and the Constitution not to see who's on the right or the left, but who is on the straight and narrow. I'm your host, Tim Brown, coming to you live from the U.S.-occupied state of South Carolina, the editor at SonsLibertyMedia.com, and for our Muslim friends, I'm the infidel that Allah warns you about. I hold to the book, the Bible, as the authoritative word of God. Glad that you guys have joined us this morning. If you'd like to check us out online, please do so, SonsOfLibertyRadio.com, and also SonsOfLibertyMedia.com. In fact, if you're listening by way of... Uh, <laughs> By way of Red State Talk Radio, and you want to watch the video portion of the radio show that's right, you can see the faces made for radio, head over to SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, and there you're going to see two videos at the top of the page. Bradley is back, uh, so he was back yesterday. <clears throat> so the video that you see on the top left is uh, his show from Friday. If you miss that and you want to watch that, you can do so up until 3 o'clock uh, Eastern Time this afternoon, at which time he'll be live there for two hours. So... Bradley be in that little spot right there for two hours this afternoon, sonsoflibertymedia.com. On the right side of the page is where we're at. Click on the play button, blow it up whatever device you've got there. Um, look for the rumble icon in the bottom right-hand corner. You can click on that. You can join us in the chat on Rumble. We've got a lot of friends over there this morning. Good morning. Good to see you all, you guys. Yes, I did play right on King Jesus. <laughs> uh, and in light of, yes, all the stuff we've been talking about, Yep, he's king. He's been king. He's riding on. He's ruling and reigning from heaven. There's no question about it. And his kingdom has come. And we're just going to keep going through that, demonstrating that from the scriptures that, yes, everybody who opposes him, the scriptures refute them. They, they just refute them. I mean, that, there is just no way around it. There really isn't. We're going to have a good time this morning with that as well. Right up under where we're streaming live, and by the way, we're not only streaming live on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, but also Sons of Liberty Radio Live is the channel for Rumble, Sons of Liberty Radio Live. Be sure to subscribe over there. We're also on BeforeIt'sNews.com, top of the page streaming there as well, and we appreciate those guys giving us a spot. Right up under where we're streaming live is where you can sign up for our email newsletter. You get it once a day in the evening. And uh, then that's all the articles that we have on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, as well as uh, the morning show archive. That's in there. So, again, if you're, I know a lot of people listening this on, on their way to work or getting ready to work or, you know, doing things around the house. And they can't sit down at the, at the time we're on with their Bibles and with a pencil or a pen or something like that and jot down these things. 
if you go to sonsoflibertymedia.com and you look for the topic that we're discussing that day, you can click on that. All the links to all the scriptures that, that I reference are there. Okay. They're all on there. All right. So you can get those there. Um, and then if you want our ministry email, go to sonsoflibertyradio.com. And when you get there, uh, there is a place right on the front page where you can sign up for the email that goes out once a week on Saturday. So if you get it, if you go over there this morning and you sign up before say one, I'm going to say one o'clock, you should get the one for today. That goes out once a week. It kind of tells you what we've been doing, what we're going to do, what we are doing. Uh, and then take a look at sons You'll see uh, the ministry Bradley's been in, involved in for more than two decades and you'll see what the sons of Liberty have done. And, um, uh, so yeah, be be sure to check that out um, later on today. All right. Now everybody's going. Where's Kate? Where's Kate? Well, Kate has had a very busy week. I think she's probably probably been into the city or something because she's got a runny nose and all kinds of stuff that she says that's not not nothing to worry about. It's just detoxification, but it's just kind of worn me down. Uh, and as you know, she's told you how detoxification works. And that's part of it. And she's got a little bit of a sore throat. So, um, <clears throat> you know, be praying for her. Uh, the Lord will give you give her strength again. But uh, she needed to take some time off. And I was going to tell her to do that anyway. She had a speaking engagement that was going to be going on at the same time the show's going on. And she said, I might pop in for five minutes, say a couple of things, let people know what I'm doing. And then, you know, go do my speaking part. And uh, that got canceled. There was a lot of people that went up against uh, where that was going to be, uh, the the organization that was, or the people that were going to have her come and speak. And so the area where she was going to speak, they called it off like late yesterday afternoon. They they said, this is due to security reasons. Well, you bunch of cowards. Why don't you get some security there? If you feel threatened by lawless people, why don't you go get some security? Quit being cowards. Oh my goodness, it's ridiculous. She'll probably have something to say about that next week. So you're stuck with me today. <laughs> you're stuck with me. And so what I want to do is I want to be able to go ahead and kick off some of the things that I told you that I was going to do next next week. Okay. That I was going to do next week. So here's what I here's what I'm going to do. There is, I'm only going to try to deal with this real quickly, okay? I don't want to spend a lot of time on this because I want to focus on what we're, what we're going to be talking about, which is Ezekiel 37. And, um, <clears throat> but there's this guy, and now he's just resorted to uh, popping in and saying things. It's just a copy and paste job now. And if he does it again, sorry, you're going to get muted because I'm going to consider that spam. And I don't put up with spam, okay? That I just don't do that. But uh, this guy, he left the message again. Same stuff, promoting the rapture as though he's going to escape persecution, as though he's going to escape tribulation. He's promoting the false doctrine that the church never held to in the manner he's presenting, and he thinks he's going to escape persecution and tribulation. Well, let me tell you something, son or daughter. I don't know I, whoever you are. You're not going to escape it because Jesus didn't escape it. The disciples didn't escape it. Jesus said, 
Is the servant above his master? If they did this to me, what do you think they're going to do to you? By the way, if you want to call in, the number is 803-619-9855. If I'm going to do my best to watch it, it should trip out on my phone here. It went dead. My phone went dead, but I, I think it's up now. Uh, so I'm going to turn it on. Uh, I had to put the charger on it. So it should light up and, and warn me if I don't see it on the computer screen. But I will take your call. 803-619-9855. Please, 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 please stick only to the topics that we've covered. If you go outside of those topics, I'm just going to say you're going to have to wait because if you don't get this, if you don't understand these plain things, then if you start asking me all kinds of stuff, they're in vision form, like in Revelation and other things like that, I'm going to give you an answer and you're not, you're not going to receive it. And it's not because you're stupid or, or anything like that. I, I, well, let me change that. It's not because I want to I want to say it in a way where it's not demeaning. I, I don't want it to be that way. It's not because you wouldn't want to receive it. It's because if you are of that mindset and you haven't got these basic understandings that we've talked about, what's plain, you're not going to receive the answer that I give you. You're going to mock it. And I'm not interested in throwing it out there for you just to mock. I want you to see these things. This is why we've taken so long in doing this and probably a little bit longer before we get into some of these other things. But this guy says, this is the same spiritual poison that even Paul desperately warned against in 2 Timothy 2, 16 and 18. Now, this is in reference to what we talked about yesterday. So it's clear to me this guy or gal, whoever it is, doesn't listen to the show. They're not arguing against anything that said, what did we do yesterday? All we did was went through the New Testament where it said, this is to be fulfilled. This is fulfilled. This is fulfilled. Jesus' words, all this will be fulfilled in this generation. It's the fulfillment of what the scriptures say. And this person has the audacity to come in and talk about this. So I'm just going to, I'm not going to elaborate on it. I'm going to read you what 2 Timothy 2, 16, 18 says. And I'm going to ask you just to think about it. I'm not going to deal with the subject yes, yet. I'm going to throw this out give you a couple of questions to think about, and then we're going to go to Ezekiel 37, okay? Here is 2 Timothy, <clears throat> excuse me, chapter 2, verses 16 to 18. Listen. And by the way, I'm not going to take questions on this because I'm not covering it. I'm just throwing it out there for you to think about. But shun profane and vain babblings, for they will increase unto more ungodliness, and their word will eat as, a, as doth a canker, of whom is Hymenaeus and Philetus, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already and overthrow the faith of some. All right? Now stop and think about that just a second. Paul writes before the coming of the Son of Man, Matthew 24. He's writing before then. How could people be deceived if what Paul was teaching them was the resurrection was way out in our future, not theirs, not close at hand, how could he, how could he, how could they be deceived? There would, there would be no way to deceive them because they would say, man, you're crazy. But instead, this was coming, this was coming with the Christ. And I'll just throw you over here to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. A lot of people have the question about the, um, you know, they, well, this is the rapture. This is what we're looking for in our future and this, that, and the other. But let me just read it to you. 
And then you contemplate these things. You come to your own conclusion about what the scriptures are saying here in their context. Paul writes, 1, Corinthians, or 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13, here's what he says. But I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that, and, and I want you to notice, notice the pronouns here. Again, Paul is not writing to us. He's writing to the Thessalonians. Okay? And what has he said? I don't want you to be ignorant. Concerning them which are asleep, that you not that you sorrow not. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus. So he's talking, he's talking to those who are alive and awake. And he includes himself in that, the we. And then he speaks of them which are asleep. That's the believers in Christ. And then he says this, verse 15. For this we say unto you by the word of the Lord, that we which are alive and remain unto the coming of the Lord shall not prevent them which are asleep. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we, which are alive and remain, shall be caught up together with them, that's the dead in Christ, those who are asleep, in the clouds, to meet the Lord in the air, and so shall we ever be with the Lord, wherefore comfort one another with these words. So, again, Paul writes these things before what we read in Matthew 24. And we're going to make reference to that today because Ezekiel makes reference to some of this stuff. All right. And if you're continuing to hold on to this, you know, for lack of a better term, what's called futurism, um, then this is a problem. Okay. Well, Dino, you're exactly right. It's not about modern Israel. It is in the past. You're exactly right. You're exactly right. But see, here's the thing. Uh, forget the label. Forget the label of quote-unquote preterism. Forget that for a second. All we're wanting to see is, what does the Bible say, and has it been fulfilled? If you want to call, if people want to call it that, knock yourself out with that. But the fact of the matter is, let's just, let's just stick with what the text says. Okay, I've told you I don't mind taking labels. Okay, I don't mind taking labels if people understand what the label, what's contained in the label. But I don't use a lot of, I rarely use that on this show because I know a lot of people won't know it or they have straw men built up. So we just stick to the text. And that does good enough because it's the word of God and it is powerful. All right. Now, before we begin, I want to play this little clip. And again, I got this from uh, Charlie over at GodSendUsMen.com. This is the rabbi, um, Tobias Singer. And I want you to listen again, because in, in a lot of ways, 
while there, the modern church will say Jesus is king, he's fulfilled these prophecies and all, but he hasn't really fulfilled all of them completely yet. That'll be somewhere off in the future. It's this, it's, it's almost identical, except they'll say he's the Messiah. This rabbi won't. I want you to hear what he has to say. And then one of the things he points, he points out several things, and we're going to try to go through these. But he points out Ezekiel. This has never been fulfilled. Listen to this rabbi. My name is Rabbi Tovi. I'm the director of an organization called Outreach Judaism. I've devoted my life to helping Jews who've converted to Christianity return back to the Jewish faith. Evangelical Christians are targeting Jews worldwide, spending hundreds of millions of dollars to bring you and those that you love to the church. They claim that Jesus is the Messiah. Now, the belief in the Messiah is uniquely Jewish, and it's a fundamental principle of the Jewish faith. They claim that Jesus somehow fulfilled these prophecies, but really, what does the Jewish scripture say about the Messiah? Why doesn't Judaism accept this Christian claim? It's a fantastic claim, and it lacks evidence. Tanakh tells us, our Hebrew Bible tells us, that there are certain events that will unfold in the Messianic age. When Mashiach comes, there'll be an ingathering the exiles. That's Ezekiel chapter 37. The knowledge of God will cover the world as the water covers the sea. That's Isaiah chapter 11, verse 9 and verse 10. There'll be a resurrection of the dead. That's Daniel chapter 12, verse 2. The temple, the third and final temple, will be rebuilt. If you look today at the Temple Mount, you'll see there a couple of Islamic shrines and it's laying in destruction, waiting for the redemption. But Ezekiel chapter 37, all the way through 47, describes the third temple that will, will be there forevermore. So we have all these messianic prophecies telling us what the Mashiach is supposed to do. And now we ask the question, there have been hundreds of people throughout history, maybe thousands, who've claimed to be the Messiah, Jesus included. What do they all have in common? They didn't fulfill a single one of these prophecies. There was no building of the temple during the first century. In fact, it was destroyed. There was no ingathering of the exiles during the first century. The Jews were exiled. There was no resurrection of the dead. The Jews were murdered by the Romans in the ongoing wars. There was no worldwide knowledge of God during the first century because as a result of these wars with Rome and the destruction, the havoc, of the destruction of the second commonwealth, the knowledge of God and the observance of mitzvot were diminished. What's the key? The key is know your own Tanakh, know your own scriptures. If you can look at the great passages of Ezekiel and Isaiah that tell us exactly what will occur, the lamb will lie with the lion. There'll be a worldwide peace when the Messiah comes. Nation will not lift up sword against nation. Isaiah chapter 2. Are we living in a time when there is peace? No. We are living in a great time, however. We're observing the events that are bringing us to this great redemption happening before our eyes. Know your scriptures, understand your own faith, and no missionary will be able to rob you of a relationship with God. Thanks for joining me. Okay. This guy does not have a relationship with God. He rejects the Messiah. And let me show you that. By the way... Every other, as far as I can see, every other view that does not see the fulfillment of all the biblical prophecies has futurism in it. 
Every one of them, because they say, well, all this hasn't come to pass. There's still stuff that's got to be fulfilled. So you're a futurist if you keep saying there's something out there that's that's not been fulfilled. You are a futurist. Okay? Every one of them does that. I want to read to you one thing. Now, this is out of this book, and I, I made mention of it the other day, The Early Church and the End of the World. Now, not, there's there's commentary here, but this is Eusebius. Now, He's got his problems too, okay? He's a man. He's got his problems. But I want you to listen to what he says. Hegesippius, this was the guy, you know, we talked about Sugo Hegesippius, reports that James, the brother of the Lord, I want you to listen to what James says. James is first century. James is the for lack of a better term, from what we can see, the head elder there in Jerusalem in Acts chapter 15, I want you to listen to what he says, and you tell me if this doesn't sound like the very things that Jesus said in Matthew 24, the very things that we've talked about, the very fulfillment of what he said. Here's what James says. This is a quote from, from Eusebius quoting James. He's quoting James here. Why do you ask me respecting Jesus, the Son of Man? He is now sitting in the heavens on the right hand of great power and is about to come on the clouds of heaven. Let me read it again. These are the words of the Lord's brother, as quoted by Eusebius. Here's what he says. Why do you ask me respecting Jesus, the Son of Man? He is now sitting in the heavens on the right hand of great power and is about to come on the clouds of heaven. That is page 35 in the book by Gary DeMar and Francis Gumerlach. I hope I pronounced his name correctly. The early church and the end of the world. Okay, that's just one. There are tons, tons of information here showing that this has nothing to do with Rome. This has nothing to do with that. This has to do with what does the Bible say and how does the Bible interpret the Bible? And I will say, if you have to go outside the Bible to interpret it and pull it back in, then you are, you've got a bad hermeneutic there. And hermeneutic is just how you interpret the scriptures. Okay, So all we've done is went scripture to scripture. And if we have went outside, even like I did here to quote this, what? We've already interpreted the scripture. All we're doing is using it to bolster it. That's all we're doing. Okay. So with that said, let's open up Matthew. I'm just going to start with this one. We're not going to spend time on this. We're just going to jump right into Ezekiel. But I, but I want to remind you, verse 27 of Matthew 16, for the son of man shall come in the glory of his father with his angels, and then he shall reward every man according to his works. Truly I say unto you, there be some standing here which shall not taste death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Coming in his kingdom. Now, if you don't think that Jesus came in his kingdom in the first century, I don't know what to say except you're making him a liar. Because he says clearly, some of you aren't going to taste death till you see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. It, it's, as, it's as plain as the nose on your face. 
So if you don't think he brought the kingdom with him, coming in his kingdom and such in the first century, you're looking for another Messiah because he fulfilled these things, all right? <clears throat> so let's go to Ezekiel, all right? The rabbi here says, okay, and we're going to be bound, we're going to, what we're going to do is we're going to read parts of this and we're going to go into scripture, into the New Testament to see how are these things fulfilled, okay? I want you to see how they're fulfilled. And again, if you want to call in, uh, you got a question or comment about what we're talking about, what we're speaking about right now, or the shows that we've done. That Anything else, I'm not going to discuss with you, okay? I'm just not going to do it yet. They will come in time. But if you want to call in and do that, you got a comment, something to add, then that's, that's fine, okay? Ezekiel 37, we're going to begin at verse 1. This is the Valley of Dry Bones. Most of you know that, right? Um, <laughs> that little song that used to get sung about the, the Valley of the Dry Bones, right? All right. So Ezekiel 37, beginning at verse 1, listen to what he says. The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of the valley, which was full of bones. All right. So let's, um, let's look at what's going on here. God is not taking him to a literal spot somewhere in Israel and sitting him down on the ground in real dust and dirt or standing him there and looking at real dry bones. This very similar language to what you see John has in chapter 4 of Revelation. He carried me away in the spirit. So there's something that's spiritual taking place. It's almost like there's a vision that's taking place here, or there's something that's spiritual that's taking place. And he's sat in the midst of a valley which is full of, of bones. Now, doesn't mean that there's not a reality to it. There, there most certainly is. But he is, this is not like, um, you know, him just being there and not taken away in the spirit. He's carried away in the spirit of the Lord. And he sat down in the midst of the valley, which is full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, they were very many in the open valley. And lo, they were very dry. And he said unto me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. So what we see here from Ezekiel is, is that he's asked the question, and what happens? Well, can the bones live? Well, I don't, I don't know, Lord. I don't know if the bones can live or not. But nevertheless, he says, I don't know. You know. So we go back into verse 4. And again, he said unto me, prophesy upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. That's part of that little song, right? Hear the word of the Lord, right? Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live. Now, obviously, this is talking about something in the future of Ezekiel. <laughs> You're going to write a blues song. 
We can do that. That's great. Uh, but there, there already a song there. The hip bones connected to the leg bone. The leg bones, can, you know, that was that was Ezekiel. Um, I remember remember that from when I was a kid. So this brings back a lot of memories. But notice what he says. Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. All right. Now, let's go here to John chapter twenty. All right. John chapter 20, and beginning at verse 19, notice what is said. This is after the resurrection. And the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. So this door probably isn't just shut, it's locked. They got, you know, they took the dresser and all that. That's kind of the picture that you get. They're scared of the Jews. Came Jesus and stood in the midst and said unto them, Peace be unto you. And when he had so said, he showed unto them his hands and his side. Then were the disciples glad when they saw the Lord. And Jesus said unto them, or Jesus, excuse me, then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. And when he had said this, notice what he did. He breathed on them. He breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins, whosoever sins, ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they're retained. But Thomas, one of the twelve called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And the other disciples therefore came unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I shall see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. After eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst, and said, Peace be unto you. So eight days later, He's showing up, and by the way, the time frame seems to indicate it's the first day of the week. That he shows up the first time because he is already resurrected and he came to them. Now it's eight days later, and you count out that again, that would be the next first day of the week. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger, and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand, and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas didn't have to do that. Notice what Thomas said. Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my what? My God. That was not a, oh my God. That was not some kind of flippant response. He said, My Lord and my God. And Jesus said unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen. This is anybody who didn't witness it, but got their testimony from the witnesses, which traveled down through history to us. Blessed are they that have not seen. I didn't see, and yet have believed, and I believe. that If you have not seen the Christ, if you are not a witness to him in his resurrection, and yet you believe, he says you're blessed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. But these are written 
that ye might believe that Jesus is the Christ, contrary to what the rabbi said. He is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing ye might have life through his name. So what did Jesus do? Well, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Ghost. Isn't that what he did? Yes, it is. Not only that, not only did he do that, but we read in Acts chapter 2, which happens just weeks later, we read this. And when the day of Pentecost was full come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, and there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men, out of every nation under heaven. Okay? And then they're amazed. Now, when, they, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because they that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue, wherein we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers of Mesopotamia and Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in all the parts of Libya about Cyrene and the strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? Others mocking said, These men are full of new wine. And Peter standing up with the eleven, lifted up his voice and said unto them, Ye men of Judea, and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you, and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. But this is that, this is that, which was spoken by the prophet Joel. And he goes into that, and we've already done a show on that, so I'm not going to do it again. But he's saying that the receiving of the Spirit and Jesus breathing the Spirit on them after his resurrection, saying, Receive the Holy Ghost. They go hand in hand, and guess what? This ties right with what happens in Ezekiel. This is exactly what happens here. Verse 5, Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. Now, there are, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, there is another passage, and we're going to get to that in just a second, John chapter 10, that kind of follows up with some of these things, um, and there's also, uh, well, we're going to get to that in just a second. I'm getting ahead of myself because I had these pulled up, and I had different thoughts coming to me as all this was going on, but if you remember in John chapter 3, now everybody knows John 3.16. The sad part is they don't know John 3.15 or John 3.17 or in most of the rest of the passage around if you ask them. Even the, the heathen would know John 3.16. Uh, but they don't understand the context. So I believe that Jesus has the idea of the Valley of Dry Bones in mind when he talks to Nicodemus here in John chapter 3. So let's look at that. 
<clears throat> and he, beginning at verse 1, here's what he said. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. The same came to Jesus by night and said unto him, Rabbi, we know that thou art a teacher come from God, for no man can do these miracles that thou doest except God be with him. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Well, thanks for that word of encouragement there, Nicodemus. I appreciate your support and everything. No, that's not what he does. He cuts to the chase. He gets to why Nicodemus is there, even though Nicodemus doesn't really realize why he's there. Truly, truly, or verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he's old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? So you can see Nicodemus is like virtually everybody that Jesus talks to. He tells them a spiritual truth, and all they do is see the carnal side of it. Well, how am I supposed to get back in my mom's womb and be born again? That doesn't make any sense. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense because Jesus isn't talking about that. Okay, so Jesus very patiently responds to Nicodemus again. Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. Okay? Marvel not that I said unto thee, ye must be born again. The wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit. And Nicodemus answered and said unto him, I mean, Nicodemus is responding like this rabbi to um, Singer. Well, how can these things be? Come on, man, this isn't it. And Jesus rebukes him. Jesus answered and said unto him, Art thou a master of Israel, and knowest not these things? He gets the same rebuke that he's given to the other Pharisees by saying, Haven't you read the Scriptures? Don't you know the Scriptures? You're the teachers. You don't know these things? And truly, truly, I say unto thee, We speak that we do know and testify that we have seen, and ye receive not our Witness, if I have told you earthly things and you believe not, how shall you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Oh, goodness, Nicodemus, listen to what I'm saying. I'm not talking about physical stuff. The kingdom of God does not come with observation. I don't know how many times I have to say it. Those are Jesus' words out of Luke chapter 17. It's within you. That's why you must be born again. Okay? Does everybody got it? And he gives this idea where this, this wind comes, this breath that's come, that the prophet's being told here in Ezekiel. Now, this is Ezekiel 37 again. He says, um, can these bones live? And he, he does that. And then um, he says unto me, prophesy, preach upon these bones and say unto them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, Behold, I will cause breath to enter into you, and ye shall live. 
and I will lay sinews upon you and will bring up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you. And you remember when you go back into Genesis uh, where, where Adam is formed from the dust of the earth, what does God do? He breathes into him the breath of life. Ye shall live and ye shall know that I am the Lord. And you see that capitalized, I, I am Yahweh. Okay? So he did that. He, he, did, he did preach to them. No question about it. And what do we see that comes up constantly within the scriptures? And by the way, I have, I've, I've just got a ton of stuff here opened. So I do apologize, but I, I've got just a ton of stuff here. I want you to see the contrast that goes on with the living and the dead. Now, Jesus comes to his disciples after the resurrection. He breathes on them and says, receive ye the Holy Ghost, right? What does he do with the Pharisees, the ones who continue in their unbelief and are woed and judgments are pronounced upon them in Matthew 23? This is how he describes them. Verse 27 of Matthew 23. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For ye, unto, for ye are like unto whited sepulchers, which indeed appear beautiful outside, but are within full of what? what? What are they full of? Dead men's bones, and of all uncleanness. Even so ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because ye build the tombs of the prophets and garnish the sepulchers of the righteous and say, if we had been in the days of our fathers, we would not have been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Wherefore ye be witnesses unto yourselves that ye are the children of them which killed the prophets. And then he tells them, fill ye up then the measure of your fathers. And he goes on and he's already told them, he's already given them the parables. They're going to be the ones to kill him. And in killing the Son of God, the Messiah that the Lord sent, they're going to fill up that measure. They're going to have the cup of God's wrath poured out without mixture. It's not going to be diluted upon them. Why? Because they did not bow the knee to the Messiah. They did not submit to him as the king who was to come. And we're going to see that in Ezekiel um, chapter 37 here as well. Okay? So, <clears throat> excuse me. All of these things are here as to what has been presented. Okay? Um, they are full of dead men's bones. Ezekiel says that God is going to raise up a valley of dry bones, which he does. And that is everyone who believes. It's not for those who are not. They're going to remain dead in their sins. That's why Jesus would say, if you don't repent, if you don't believe, you're going to die in your sin. Okay. All right. Now back to Ezekiel 37. I will cause breath to enter into you and ye shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will bring 
up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and ye shall live and ye shall know that I am Yahweh. I am the Lord. All right. Okay. So I'm going to go over to a place that we were on a couple of shows ago, I think. And then I think we did a whole show on it. I'm, I'm not sure, but... Um, at least we referenced it. We referenced the whole chapter of 1 Corinthians 11. And I just want you to see, this will click in your mind because you're those of you who have been born again for some time, you're familiar with the terminology, the body of Christ. Now, I don't know how Rome would use that except to say in the Eucharist, they want to hold up a little wafer and say, this is the body of Christ. It's the real body of Christ. And when you eat it, it turns into re Jesus' real flesh, which is just, it's asinine. I, I don't, it's asinine. Those little wafers don't turn into anything but what they are. That's it. They don't turn into anything. But they say, well, Jesus said, this, this piece of bread is my body. Okay. Does nobody get the symbolism of what he's doing there? Same thing with his blood, with, the, with the wine. He, he says, this is my blood of the new covenant. It doesn't turn into anything. My understanding is this is where, you know, the Pope does his little thing and it's hocus pocus. That's where you get, the, that's where you get that term. It's witchcraft. It has no power, though. No power. Except men, like the Federal Reserve, when they tell you the only reason those little pieces of paper have any value is because you think they do, the same thing happens in the Roman system when they tell people, you eat this, it's called transubstantiation, the bread and the wine actually turn into real flesh and real blood. So you're doing, so listen, if you're believing that and you're partaking of that, is not your mindset that of a cannibal? Is that not what it is? Yes. And what's cannibalism? Read Deuteronomy 28. It's part of curses. It's not part of blessings. It's not that at all. So I want you to see from 1 Corinthians 11 what's said here. <clears throat> Verse 17. Now in this that I declare unto you, and remember he's just dealt with the, the gender benders. They've distorted how they look, how they appear, how they act, uh, what their roles are. And this, and there's no doubt that this kind of stuff was going on in Corinth. He's dealt with them, and now he comes down and he says this. Now in this that I declare unto you, I praise you not, that you come together not for the better, but for the worse. For first of all, when you come together in the church, I hear that there be divisions among you. And I partly believe it. Why? He's already addressed this previously in Corinth. Some of you say you're Paul. Some of you are of Apollos. And then he goes, was you know was I crucified for you? Was a was were you baptized into Apollos' name? Any of this kind of stuff? No, it was Christ who did all that, and we should be one in Him. He says, <clears throat> "For there must be also heresies among you, that they which are approved may be made manifest among you. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper, for in eating every one taketh before other his own supper." So. You've got rich and poor gathered together. They're brothers and sisters in Christ. They're coming together for what they would call the love feast. It's, we would term it down south here, the potluck. Everybody bring whatever you're going to have for your meal that day. 
and share it with everybody else. And then they're going to share your stuff. And it's just, we're going to have a time of fellowship. We're going to talk about the Lord. We're going to talk about his word. We're going to spur one another on the good, loving, good works. We're going to encourage one another and we're going to build one another up. Okay. That's what he's saying. And then in the midst of it, they do remember the Lord's table. Okay. So he says, <clears throat> when you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's supper. For in eating, everyone taketh before other his own supper. They don't even, they're not even waiting on one another. They're just running over to the table, grabbing at whatever they want. And the people, maybe brothers and sisters who haven't had much to eat that week because they're poor, they're kind of left off to the side. They're not allowed to go first to, you know, show love for them and, and compassion and concern for them. Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not. What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. For I have received of the Lord that which I also delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, Take, eat. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. And the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying, This cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as oft as ye drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. And when do we see that he's coming? When, when are they expecting that? Matthew 24. He's told them in that generation. They're looking for that. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. Now, I believe the context to be communicating that the people of God are the Lord's body, and that's what he's referencing. Why is he chastising? I'm not praising you because you're selfish, because you're gluttons, because you're drunkards. You bring your wine and you drink it all. You bring your food and you eat it all. That's nothing to be proud about. You're, you're not waiting. You're not seeing the body of Christ around you. You say, well, that's kind of a stretch. Well, that's in the context. And what follows immediately for a couple of chapters is about the body and about the gifts in the body and how they function together in the body. So yes, it's directly right smack dab in the context, right in the middle of it. And he says, you guys don't recognize that your brother over there, that you're letting starve and go thirsty over here while you're gorging yourself on this stuff. You don't recognize that's a part of the body. You haven't discerned who the Lord's body is, what it is. You haven't done that. And he says, for this cause, many are weak and sickly among you and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we should not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened of the Lord. And who does the Lord chasten? Those who are his, because he loves them like a father, that we should not be condemned with the world. Wherefore, my brethren, when ye come together to eat, tarry one for not Wait on each other. Don't be selfish. Don't be rude. 
Be kind to one another. And if any man hunger, then go home and eat. That ye come not together under condemnation, and the rest I will set in order when I come. All right. <clears throat> so there it is. There's what he's laid out. Okay. And he is designating what the body is. Well, what's Ezekiel talking about? Well, he's talking about a body. There's bones that have come up and they get pre they get preached to, they're prophesied to. God breathes into them the breath of life. And what happens? He lays sinew upon them, he brings flesh upon them, he covers them with skin, he puts breath in them, and they live, and ye shall know that I am Yahweh. I am the I am the Lord. All right. So what does what does Ezekiel do? <clears throat> so I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied, there was a noise, and behold, a shaking, and the bones came together, bone to his bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came up upon them, and the skin covered them above. But So he preached to them what was supposed to take place, and all of a sudden, in front of his eyes, these things were happening. The sinews in the flesh came upon them, the skin covered them above, but there was no breath in them. Then he said, then said he unto me, prophesy unto the wind. Remember that? That was from John chapter 3. The spirit's like the wind. You can't see the wind, but you can see what the wind does. It's like me taking and setting up this greenhouse for my wife, and a little wind came along and just, because it was, cheap made just <laughs> tore it up i couldn't see the wind but i saw the evidence of the wind was there and what it did <clears throat> so is everyone who is born of the spirit of god you can't see the spirit doing his work but you can see the evidence that comes from the person's life he did the work in you can see that so he said prophesy unto the wind prophesy son of man and say to the wind thus saith the lord god Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. <clears throat> All right. So, real quickly, if you have been following this wind from the four, or this breath from the four winds, this phrase, four winds, should click something in your mind. Where have, where have we heard that in the past couple of weeks as we've been going over these things? We've heard it right out of Matthew chapter 24, and I'm just about out of time. So if you're on Red State Talk Radio, we may not get through all this. There's just a ton of stuff that I had out today. We may not get through all this. So um, you can join us on SonsOfLibertyMedia.com, top of the page there, BeforeIt'sNews.com, or on Rumble at Sons of Liberty Radio Live. For the rest of this, we're going to point to Matthew, then we're going to go right back to Ezekiel 37 and try to make our way all the way down. And what we don't finish today, we'll try to pick it up on Monday, Lord willing. Okay, So you guys have a great weekend, a great Lord's Day, and we'll see you bright and early, Lord willing, on Monday morning. Catch Bradley at 3 today for two hours. See you. Okay, I want to welcome everybody coming over from Red State Talk Radio. <clears throat> and uh, excuse me, I just got to, I need something here to, ah, my mouth's dry. Okay, so 
He's going to gather them from the four winds. Well, where have we seen this? Well, we've seen this in Matthew 24. Again, Matthew 24 is not out in our future. It is in our past. It was in the future of the disciples that Jesus spoke to. It, it just can't be any clearer from the words the Lord Jesus says. It just can't be any clearer. Okay? And here's what we see. <clears throat> I want to back up just a little bit. You remember he's told he's given them an answer. What what seems for people to be three questions is really one. They're talking about the destruction of the temple. They understand that in some ways it's going to be judged because it's going to be destroyed. <clears throat> okay? And we read when he says all these things are happening, the lightning coming out of the east, the shineth into the west, so also shall the coming of the Son of Man be. For wherever the carcass is, there will be the, the there will the eagles be gathered together. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, immediately after them, where's the tribulation found? Well, you just have to scroll up just a little bit, and you'll you'll see where he talks about the tribulation. Verse 21, then there should be great tribulation. Everybody says the great tribulation is our future. No, it's not. No, it's not. It's back there. Such as was not since the beginning of the world to this time, nor no, nor ever shall be. Okay? So then he says, immediately, if the tribulation happened in the first century, then it says, immediately, verse 29, after the tribulation of those days shall the sun be darkened, the moon shall not give her light, the stars shall be shall fall from heaven, and the powers of the heaven shall be shaken. And then, so immediately after the tribulation, you have all this uh, language that's used, that if you go in the Old Testament, you'll see how it's used. It's talking about judgment. The world at that time, what was going to happen? The destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the, the old covenant system, and the doing away with that to establish the new, was like their world coming down around their ears. Okay? So in essence, the whole world's caving in on them. That's the imagery that you get. And you get that straight out of the Old Testament. We did a show on this to show you that. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man. This happens after immediately these things. Then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven. What's the sign of the Son of Man in heaven? The Son of Man in heaven. I don't think this is hard to understand. And then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Just the way Jesus told Caiaphas, just the way he warned the people about, they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory, and he shall send his angels with a great sound of a trumpet, and they shall gather together his elect from the four winds, from one end of heaven to the other. That happened just the way Jesus said it would happen. And there's nothing in that context that says, well, all, some of this is, is out in our future. It doesn't say that. And if you think so, the number's there, 803-619-9855. Give me a call. Show me in the text where it says that the things Jesus said in Matthew 24 are off in our future. If you can't do that, then you need to conform your thinking to the Word of God, not to Tim. You need to conform it to the Word of God. This is where we get in trouble. We think we know better than what God has clearly stated, and, and then we get in error. I mean, look, I've done it. 
tell him, why are you so patient with some of these people that they write something like this eschaton mistake? Now, I think he's just being belligerent at this point. But why are you? Because I know what it is to have been taught error. I know what it is to have that mindset. I know how hard it is sometimes to pull that out, clean it out real good, and then start seeing what the scriptures actually say. So I do try to be patient. Sometimes I'm frustrated. I'm a man. I confess that. And I have to repent there because I'm supposed to be patient. Okay? But that doesn't change the Word of God. It doesn't change the Word of God. <clears throat> All right, so back to Ezekiel 37. Then said unto <clears throat> then oh man. Then said he unto me, Prophesy unto the wind. Prophesy, son of man, and say to the wind, Thus saith the Lord God. Come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe upon these slain, that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceeding great army. Now, <clears throat> here's the thing. All throughout the New Testament, we are told that the people of God are the body of Christ. The people of God are the body of Christ. When I say the people of God, I do not mean the modern state of Israel. I do not mean those who call themselves Jews and are not like this Rabbi Tobias. I do, I do not mean anything physical in the sense of something tied with Judaism. In fact, the whole New Testament is against Judaism. Why? Because Judaism wants to bring you back into bondage. Read Galatians 4, which we might get to today because I have that pulled up as well. Read Galatians 4. It is bondage, the, Jew, the Jerusalem below, with Judaism. It is bondage. We have come to the new Jerusalem, the heavenly Jerusalem. It is liberty. And, he, and Paul contrasts Hagar, the bondwoman that Abraham had Ishmael with, and with Sarai, who, was, who bore the son of promise, Isaac. He contrasts those. One is free, one is a bondwoman. Cast out the bondwoman. Get rid of that stuff. And that's what God did in AD 70, in destroying it leveling it, making it so it didn't even look like it was inhabited, is what Josephus says. Get rid of that. Why? The new covenant, the reality has come, the king has come, his kingdom has come, and it's being hid from people. And this is what this is about. It is about unveiling the king. He was already unveiled. We read it there in Matthew 24. He's telling us about that. The revelation of Jesus Christ as what? King of the nations. King of the nations. The heathen are given to him. <clears throat> we may get to this in a minute. Psalm chapter 2. Giving the heathen to him for his inheritance. So he says, they stand up and they are an exceeding great army. An exceeding great army. By the way, 
we're going to get, well, I'm jumping ahead of myself. I had this up and I don't know. I got so many tabs and I thought I kept them. Okay. I thought I kept them in order. And sometimes it's hard to see because I got a bazillion of them over here. But I, I just want you guys to kind of see how these things in the New Testament are presented to us based on what the text says. And again, I'm staying in the context of Ezekiel 37. And I'm also, when I'm seeing this in the New Testament, I'm reading you the context there. I'm not just pulling out a verse and slapping it in there. We read the context, right? That's how we stay and let the Word of God interpret the Word of God. So, when Paul writes to the Ephesians, one of the things he says is this. <clears throat> Excuse me. Verse 10 of chapter 6. Many of you are familiar with this. See if you've ever seen it. In light of what Ephesians 6 says, and I'll just quickly remind you, he said, they stood up and they were what? A great army. A great army. So Paul says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God. Now, who puts on the armor of God? Who puts it on? Who puts on armor? Soldiers, right? Soldiers put on armor. They put on helmets. They put on, well, in our day, they put on, you know, bulletproof plates. They, they cover themselves. They wear the right kind of shoes so they're, they don't slip. They, they wear the, the knee pads so that they don't tear up their knees if they have to get down on their knees. They have elbow pads doing the same thing. All of this stuff. But here... He marks it, or he, he takes imagery from that of the Romans and how their soldiers dressed. Put on the whole armor of God that ye may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil, for we wrestle not against flesh and blood. Now, let me ask you something. Do any of you actually believe he meant go grab a, go grab a Roman helmet and stick it on your head? Did he actually mean put on the, a breastplate of a Roman soldier? Did he mean actually go get some of the shoes that the Roman soldiers put on? Did he mean go get a sword like the Romans have? Did he mean go get one of those big shields that they did? You know, they make the tortoise thing uh, to protect themselves. Did he mean go get real armor? No, none of us would ever think that, I don't think. So why do we think kingdom and all this other stuff is a literal thing like that when Jesus clearly said it's not? Okay, I just want you to keep that in mind. He says, we're not wrestling against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. Stand, therefore, having your loins girt about with truth, and having the breastplate of righteousness and your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Above all, taking the shield of faith, wherewith ye shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked, and take the helmet of salvation, the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, and praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And I just want to continue just a little bit to make a point here. And for me, remember, he's writing to the Ephesians. He's not writing to us. 
So I'm not praying for Paul anymore. Uh, the Ephesians aren't praying for, praying for Paul anymore. They're not even there anymore. And we're not supposed to be praying for Paul. He's already gone on. That utterance may be given unto me, that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Watch this. For which I am an what? ambassador in bonds, that therein I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Now, what's an ambassador? <clears throat> now, in the United States, <clears throat> excuse me, if a president is going to speak with people of other countries, you, he may speak to them, but he usually has an ambassador, and a go-between in between them. Kings have that too. <clears throat> they use those, and, and all of them are imposters if they don't submit to King Jesus. Okay, just I've already said that, all of them. I don't care if they use the term God. I don't care if they read you the scripture. If they're not bowing their knee to Christ, they're imposters and they're playing you. All these presidents that get up in the U.S. and they want to read to you the scripture, or they want to hold up a Bible, or they want to use God, or they want to have a little Christmas message or Easter message or any of that stuff. Listen, if they aren't bowing the knee to Jesus and to his law, they are imposters and they are playing you on your religious emotions. They're not of God. They're making themselves out for that so they get your approval, so they get your consent. Stop giving it to them. What, is, what does the king do? He sends ambassadors. And we are as like that. We are ambassadors to other men with the message of the king, calling them to repentance and submission to the king, the one and only king. That is the gospel message. It is not you tack Jesus on so you can have fire insurance. It is that you submit to the king and you live in his kingdom under his laws. That's what it is. That's the message. It's not anything complicated. It's very, very simple. We give the terms of surrender, if you will, and they come from the king. They don't come from us. So <clears throat> here's a great army. If believers are to be clothed in this armor, do you not get the picture that we're, we're his army? We're his people? We're engaged in a battle? I mean, Bradley, at least the shows I get to hear or the parts I shows, I, he's constantly hitting that nail. We can do this. That's what, he, that's what he says. We can do this together. Let's not, get, let's not be divided. We can do this together. Let's advance. <clears throat> the king's laws. Let's advance them because there's blessing under that. All right, so there's a, there's a great army. Now we're down to verse 11. Then he said unto me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried and our hope is lost. We are cut off for our parts. Therefore prophesy and say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold on my people, I will open your graves and cause you to come up out of your graves and bring you into the land of Israel. And ye shall know that I am the Lord, that's Yahweh, it's in all caps, okay? When I have opened your graves, O my people, and brought you up out of your graves. Now we talked about this the other day, did we not? Yeah, 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 we did. We did do that. Hmm. We did. We did talk about that. Where did we talk about that? Matthew chapter seven. 
This is Jesus hanging on the cross. And what does he say? And about this beginning in verse 46, Matthew 27, and about the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice saying, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is to say, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Some of them that stood there when they heard that said, this man calleth for Elias or for Elijah. And straightway one of them ran and took a sponge and filled it with vinegar and put it on a reed and gave it to him to drink. And the rest said, let be, let us see whether Elias will come to save him. And Jesus, when he had cried out again, with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many." Does that sound like Ezekiel 37? Sounds like Ezekiel 37 to me. And when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly saying, truly this was the Son of God. Incredible. Incredible. I agree with the rabbi. Know your scriptures. Know them. Know what they mean, though. And this is the great thing about the New Testament. The New Testament opens up the scriptures of the Old Testament so that we can see clearly what they're talking about. More, more specifically, who they're talking about. They're talking about the Messiah who was to come, who did come, who fulfilled all the prophecies that were given. And he says it, and so do the writers of the New Testament, that all might be fulfilled, not some left off in the future, all might be fulfilled. He's very, I mean, they're clear. We went through that yesterday. My goodness. Back to Ezekiel 37. Not only is he going to pull them out of their graves, and I shall put my spirit in you, in you, and ye shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall ye know that I, the Lord, have spoken it and performed it, saith the Lord. What did he say he was going to do? He's going to put his spirit in them. They were going to live. He's going to give them their own land. Now, if you think this is land promises, that you know have already been fulfilled. Read the book of Joshua. It's clear. God fulfilled all the promises he made to the fathers, and in kicking them out of the land, he did it. <clears throat> he removed them. We know they went into Babylon and such because they wouldn't obey him. But then he brought them back. And then in AD 70, he says, I've had enough of this. You kill my son. This is the end of it. And if you read the curses of Deuteronomy 28, which a lot of these people who keep looking at modern-day Israel and mo as fulfillment of Bible prophecy and looking at, at people who call themselves Jews and are not, but are of the synagogue of Satan, when, when they do that, they, they take and they go, well, this is still going to happen here. 
No, it's not. It is, it, it is tramp. I, I don't know a nice way to say it. I see it as trampling under your foot the blood of the Son of God. I just, that's what Hebrews 10 says that you're doing. If you want to, if you want to go engage in old test, old covenant kind of stuff, and you think it's a cool thing that they're building a, a, a they want to build a temple. I don't even know that they're going to be able to do it, but they might. I think God will just destroy it. He might even wipe out those people too. I'm not calling for people to go and murder people. I'm not doing that. What I'm saying is they have no significance of that. And if the people who preach that kind of stuff, like people like John Hagee and some of these nutballs who don't know the Word of God, and by the way. Some of them are, have been engaged in egregious sins in the open and never repented of it. John Hagee's one of them. His wife that he's with, he was committing adultery with with his other wife because this, this one he's with was a secretary. And he also teaches this nonsense that we don't need to evangelize those who call themselves Jews. Why? Well, they have their own covenant with God. If that isn't heretical, I don't know what is. And this is what I was saying about babies this time for people who didn't get it and put words in my mouth. I was saying anybody, anybody, I don't care what their age is, born or unborn, in the womb or out of the womb, if they go in the presence of the Father, they get there by the work of Christ. That's what I said. And the same thing is true for the Jew, the one who calls themselves a Jew and are not, and for the Gentiles. Any man, they only get there through the Son. Period. That's it. If you're preaching a gospel that says they have another way, you're preaching a damnable gospel. It is a goddamn gospel. Okay? That's what it is. And the Word of God says it. Paul writes it in the book of Galatians. That's exactly what it is. You're not bringing people hope. You're bringing them damnation. Okay? So, that said, he says, I'm going to put my spirit in you. I'm going to cause you to live. Right? So, does that happen? Well, yes, it will. In fact, what we're going to find, let me see if I can bring over here to where I'm supposed to be. Next one that we're up. Okay. This is from John chapter 14. This is Jesus speaking with his disciples and listen to what he says. And I will pray the Father, and he shall give you another comforter, that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless, I will come to you. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more. But ye see me, because I live, ye shall live also. Oh my goodness. The fulfillment of Ezekiel 37 is so clear. It's so clear. What did we see in Acts chapter 2 when we, when we read it? What did we see? And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting. And Jesus had told them, wait till they were clothed with power from on high. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. 
my goodness, it is so clear. It is, is so straightforward. The only reason the rabbi doesn't believe this is because, one, he hasn't read it, and two, the Bible tells us that they have this veil over their eyes when these things are talking about. What's interesting about the rabbi is he makes mention of Daniel chapter 12 and the resurrection. We talked about that earlier this week. He makes mention of that. Why doesn't he make mention of Daniel chapter 9 and the time frame allotted to which the Messiah would come and what he would do and accomplish? Well, just suppress that truth and unrighteousness, right? Just don't tell me about that stuff. It's really incredible. It really is incredible. Now, let's move on a little bit. The word of the Lord came unto me again, saying, this is back to Ezekiel 37, the word of the Lord came again unto me, saying, verse 16, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah, and for the children of Israel his companions, that take another stick and write upon it. For Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, and for all the house of Israel, his companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they shall become one in thy hand. Two sticks, put them together. And they're going to be one in his hand. Okay? And when the children of thy people shall speak unto thee, saying, Wilt thou not show us what thou meanest by these? Say unto them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will take the stick of Joseph, which is in the hand of Ephraim, and the tribes of Israel his fellows, and will put them with him, even with the stick of Judah, and make them one stick, and they shall be one in mine hand. And the sticks whereon thou writest shall be in thine hand before thy eyes, or their eyes, and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God, Behold, I will take the children of Israel from among the heathen, whither they be gone, and will gather them on every side and bring them into their own land. And I will make them one nation in the land upon the mountains of Israel. And I'm going to stop right there. and We're going to take a look at some things. All right. So where is this happened? What's taken place here? Well, one of this is John chapter 10, and there's some other passages that we'll look at as well in this, but I want you to see it uh, because I think it's important that you you capture this as to what he's saying. He's taking, I mean, I got two sticks here, one for Joseph, one for Ephraim, okay? I'm going to bring them together. I'm going to make them one stick, right? So there are several passages that speak to this in the New Testament. One is John chapter 10. That's where we're going to start first. And we're going to begin at verse 1. We're going to read the chapter here. Truly, truly, I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Now, in Ezekiel, maybe I need to, Maybe I need to finish that. Let, let, me, let me just finish this last little part here. I'm going to go back to, to um, Ezekiel chapter 37. He says, I will make them one nation in the land under the mountains of Israel. One king shall be king to them all. 
And they shall be no more two nations, neither shall they be divided into two kingdoms any more at all. Neither shall they defile themselves any more with their idols, nor with their detestable things, nor with any of their transgressions. But I will save them out of all their dwelling places wherein they have sinned and will cleanse them. So shall they be my people and I will be their God. And then he says this, and David, my servant, shall be king over them. Now, does Tobias actually believe that, that King David is going to come back and and he's going to be the king? Or is this a reference to the Davidic covenant that God made with David concerning Christ sitting on his throne forever? Well, I think it's the Davidic covenant promises. And they all shall have what? What, what, what is that? One shepherd. They're going to have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. All right, back to John chapter 10. Notice what he says. Truly I say unto you, he that entereth not by the door into the sheepfold, but climbeth up some other way, the same is a thief and a robber. But he that entereth in by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Hmm. So he's talking about shepherds. To him the porter openeth, and the sheep hear his voice, and he calleth his own sheep by name, and leadeth them. And when he putteth forth his own sheep, he goeth before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. And a stranger will they not follow, but will flee from him, for they know not the voice of strangers. And this is a parable. How do I know that? Verse 6. This parable, verses 1 through 5, spake Jesus unto them, but they understood not what things they were which he spake unto them. Then Jesus said unto them again, he's got a little explanation for what the parable is. Truly, truly, I say unto you, I am the door of the sheep. I'm this, I'm the door, I'm the gate, I'm where you enter and go, where you go in and go out. All that ever came before me are thieves and robbers. So many came before me claiming they're the Messiah, they're the Christ, blah, 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 blah. They're thieves and robbers. I'm the real deal. I'm the door of the sheep. But the sheep did not hear them. I am the door. By me, if any man enter in, he shall be saved. And shall go in and out. And find pasture. Anybody getting Psalm 20? Uh, I'm losing the thought here. The Lord is my shepherd. The Psalm about lying down in green pastures, leading beside the stone. He's the good shepherd. And then he says, The thief cometh not but for to steal and to kill and to destroy. I am come that they might have life and that they might have it more abundantly. I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd giveth his life for the sheep. Keep that in mind. The good shepherd doesn't give his life for the goats. He gives it for the sheep, his people. Verse 12, but he that is an hireling in other words, the sheep aren't his. He's just been, he's given money to kind of tend to them. But he that is a hireling and not the shepherd, 
whose own the sheep are not, seeth the wolf coming. And instead of getting in front of the sheep, corralling them into where they should be and protecting them, he runs off for the sake of a wolf coming at him. This is the direct opposite of what David did with his sheep. He got a lion and a bear and tore them up with his bare hands, protecting the sheep, giving his life, putting his life at stake for the sheep to protect them. The Lord Jesus goes and gives his life for the sheep to protect them. And so he sees the wolf coming, he leaveth the sheep and fleeth, and the wolf catcheth them and scattereth the sheep. The hireling fleeth because he is a hireling. He has nothing to gain in his mind. I've got my money, but I don't have anything to gain if that wolf eats my arm off or kills me or whatever. What do I gain out of it? That's, that's how he looked. And he careth not for the sheep. All he's cared about is his wages for the day. That's it. Does this remind you of some preachers today? That all they care about is the money that they get, but they don't care about the sheep, and they certainly don't care about the truth of the Word of God. They'll preach to you anything that will tickle your ears. And by the way, I was told this, the messages I'm giving are t ear ticklers. I'm like, no, what's ear tickling is you're going to be raptured out of here. What's ear tickling is saying, we're not going to be here when all hell breaks loose on earth and blah, 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 blah. and all that. That's ear tickling. That's ear tickling right there. What I'm telling you is the king has come. The kingdom is here. You're called to submit to the king. That means you're called to obey his word, his law, and to reject all others. That's not ear tickling. That's the direct opposite of it. And then he says, I am the good shepherd and know my sheep and am known of mine. As the Father knoweth me, even so I know I the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. And other sheep I have, check this out, which are not of this fold. Them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice. And there shall be one fold and one shepherd. One fold and one shepherd. But he says, well, wait a minute. I got sheep that aren't of the fold here, the fold of Israel. Why? Jesus said, I've been sent to the house of Israel. And you remember he has the, I think it's the Samaritan woman. And he says, look, I'm here to deal with the sheep. I'm not here to deal with the dogs. Now, that's what Jesus called her. And she looked at him and she said, but Lord, even the dogs eat the scraps from the table. Do you get the humility and the faith this woman has? I, I'll just take the scraps from the table. I'm not claiming to be anybody special. I'll take. And Jesus just marveled at her that she has this kind of faith. But he says, I've got sheep that aren't a part of this fold. Who is that? Is that not the nations around? Is that not to whom he sent the disciples? But he said, first, you, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, uttermost parts of the world, right? Uttermost parts of the earth. So they start in Jerusalem, but they branch out and they go out into the other nations. They're to disciple the nations. That's what their role was. That's what their job was. And they did it too, by the way. Read Colossians chapter 1, the whole chapter. You'll see it. The, the gospel was preached to every creature under heaven in the first century. 
And if you don't believe that, then you don't believe the word of God. I'm sorry. I don't have a, I don't have a nice way I can put it because that's what it says plainly. It says that plainly. And again, you have false teachers wanting you to give, give them their, give you, you to give them their, I can't even say it. You have false teachers wanting you to give your money to them so they can say, and, and they tell you, well, we got to preach the gospel of the whole world so that Jesus will come back. I'm telling you, the scriptures say that's already done, both of them. The gospel was preached throughout all the earth and that Christ returned just as he said in Matthew 24. Just as he said. This is not hard. It really isn't hard unless you've been poisoned with this futuristic mindset. That's the only way it's hard. And, and I confess, I was poisoned with it. I don't have all the answers, but the scripture does. I, I know that for a fact. So let's go back here to John, and here's what he says. And other sheep I have, which are not of this fold, them also I must bring, and they shall hear my voice, and there shall be one fold and one shepherd. Isn't that what Ezekiel says? Why, yes, it is. And David, my servant, shall be king over them, and they all shall have what? One shepherd. And what are they going to do? They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. Do them. Okay. Did this happen? Well, yes, it did. John chapter 6 is communicating this very thing, and we're going to go here. I'm going to finish up John chapter 6, and then we're going to go into Ephesians chapter 2, one of my favorite passages, okay? Just to show you that this is what's going on. He picks up in verse 17, Therefore doth my Father love me, because I lay down my life, that I might take it up again. No man taketh it from me. Now, can we say the Jews were to blame for the murder of Jesus in that day? Yes. Peter says as much. Can we also say the Romans were involved? Psalm chapter 2, it's, I mean, it's repeated throughout the New Testament as being fulfilled, and it's about the Romans, and it's about the Jews. Who are the ones who nailed him? Did the Jews nail him? No, they called for it, but it was the Romans who nailed him to a cross. But Jesus said, no man taketh it from me. I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This commandment have I received of my Father. There was a division, therefore, again, among the Jews for these sayings. Well, of course there was. <laughs> they didn't like what he had to say because they're goats. And they show themselves that they're goats. Listen to what they say. And many of them said, he hath a devil and is mad. Why hear ye? What are you people doing? Listen to this guy. He is a Looney Tunes. He is a few peanuts short of a snicker bar. Why are you listening to this guy? Others said. These are not the words of him that hath a devil. Can a devil open the eyes of the blind? Oh, what observation. Nope, the devil can't open the eyes of the blind. He can't. And it was at Jerusalem, the feast of the dedication, and it was winter, and Jesus walked into the temple in Solomon's porch. Then came the Jews round about him and said unto him, How long dost thou make us to doubt? If thou be the Christ, tell us plainly. I gotta tell you, you don't see the emotion in the text 
And I'm just speculating, okay, so just hear what's going on in my mind as I see this. I see frustration with Jesus wanting to go like this, just shaking his head going, do you got plugs in your ears? Do you got a blinder over your eyes? I've been telling you this stuff the whole time. This is what he says. Jesus answered them, I told you and ye believed not. I told you and ye believe not. It's like I can spend an hour and a half or two hours in some cases teaching these things. And I got people that come in and, and they go, what are you saying this? What did you listen? And I'm sorry. It gets a little frustrating. It does get a little frustrating. But he says, I told you and you believe not the works that I do in my father's name. They bear witness of me. But ye believe not, because ye are not of my sheep, as I said unto you. He could just say, you're goats. That's what he could say. You're goats. You don't believe what I'm telling you. But he says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall any man pluck them out of my hand. Again, I'm not a once saved, always saved kind of person. That's not me. I believe in the perseverance of the saints. But who causes us to persevere? Is it us? Are we doing that? Nope. The Bible says God works us in, uh, he works in us both to will and to do his good pleasure. The Bible says that he is the author and the finisher of our faith. So if he starts something, Paul says, he who began a good work in you will what? Complete it, right? Isn't that what he says? So if somebody comes into the ecclesia, the assembly, they come in into the, with the people of God and they go out and they leave it, then John says they leave not because they had Jesus and they lost salvation. They went out from us because they were never of us. Get that in, get that in your head, okay? Either Jesus is the Savior or man's a Savior. And if man is the Savior, if he's putting anything towards his salvation, we're in a bunch of trouble. We have no hope. Okay? Christ is the Savior. He is the one who works in us, both to will and do do his good pleasure. So here's what Jesus says. No man can pluck them out of my hand. Oh, well, you can pluck yourself out of it. No, that's not what he says. No man. Do you fall under the category of no man? No one? My Father which gave them me is greater than all, and no man is able to pluck them out of my Father's hand. That includes you. <laughs> I, this is clear. I and my Father are one. Then the Jews took up stones again to stone him. And Jesus answered them, Many good works have I showed you from my Father. For which of those works do ye stone me? Now look, they understand exactly what Jesus is saying about himself, and I want you to get it. I want you to get exactly what they understood him to say, because they say it with their own mouth. The Jews answered him, saying, For a good work we stone thee not, but for blasphemy. What kind of blasphemy? And because that thou, being a man, makest thyself God. Thou, being a man, Makest thyself God. Oh, they got exactly what Jesus was communicating. 
Jesus answered them, Is it not written in your law? I said, Your gods. They used the little g there. Aren't you the guys making up your own law? Your own laws that you can't even keep? Aren't you the guys doing that? If he called them gods, little lawmakers, unto whom the word of God came, and the scripture cannot be broken, say ye of him, whom the Father hath sanctified and sent into the world, thou blasphemest, because I said, I am the Son of God? If I do not the works of my Father, believe me not. But if I do, though ye believe me not, or believe not me, believe the works. At least look at the works, but you're attributing my works to the devil. Somebody asked the other day uh, in the comment section, they asked, well, I'm, I'm unlearning this stuff. Be patient with me and all this. You know, is this, have I committed an unpardonable sin? No. The people who commit unpardonable sins are attributing to the devil the works of the Spirit of God. And Jesus says you won't be forgiven in that age nor the age to come, which is the age we're living in. You're not going to be forgiven of that stuff. Don't ever attribute the work of God to a devil. That's just... Foolish, and that's what these guys were doing. So he continues on. We'll close out this chapter. He says, But if I do, though ye believe me not, or believe not me, believe the works, that ye may know and believe that the Father is in me and I in him. Therefore they sought again to take him, but he escaped out of their hand and went away again beyond Jordan into the place where John at first baptized, and there he abode. I, you know, it's just incredible to me how these guys kind of get Jesus at the end of a cliff or they surround him or they get him in these places. They're going to stone him out. And you can see there's there's several of these guys there. And somehow Jesus just cruises around. Why? Because it's not his time. We read this. I think it was yesterday. It's not his time yet. When his time comes, he surrenders to that. But not until. God protects his son. Now, this is the second part. Remember, we're talking about the sticks. We're talking about the shepherd. We're talking about the sheep. We're talking about David and being on the throne. Here's where he takes the two and makes them one. Okay? This is Ephesians 2. Now, most people are familiar with 1 through 9. They forget number 10 that we're his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before for ordained that we should walk in them, but listen to the rest of the passage. He's telling you how these two sticks are made one. Wherefore, remember that ye being in times past, Gentiles in the flesh, and I believe the Gentiles are this other flock that he's talking about. They're not of the flock of Israel, but he's going to make them of the commonwealth of Israel. And he tells you this in this passage. He says that ye being in time past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands, that at that time ye were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. You were outside the covenant people. You were outside the covenant blessings. You were strangers from the covenants of promises, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, and again, he's writing to the Ephesians, the believers there, but now in Christ Jesus, ye who sometimes were far off 
are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Were you far off, friend, brother, sister, and have been brought nigh by the blood of Christ? Rejoice in that, for he is our peace who hath made both one. Do you get that? He hath he is our peace who hath made both one and hath broken down the middle wall of partition between us, having abolished in his flesh the enmity. There was enmity between us and God, and Christ tore it down. He's given us peace. Even the law of commandments contained in ordinances. This is the same thing that gets nailed onto the cross there. All this ceremony, all of this stuff, all of that stuff is done away with there. Does the moral law of God still stand? You better believe it does. But all the ordinances done away with in Christ. For to make in himself of twain, what's the twain? Those who are, in, who are part of the commonwealth of Israel and those who were not, who have been made that. Jews and Gentiles, he has... Where was I at? Verse 15. He has made in himself of twain, of the two, one new man, so making peace. I want to ask you something before I continue with this. What do the modern preachers teach you today? They teach you there's still a division. Jews are God's chosen people. You rarely hear them talk about the Gentiles being God's chosen people who believe on the Christ. You rarely hear that, but you'll hear them point the Jews over there in Israel and those who call themselves Jews today and are not. I keep having to say that because they're not. They're not circumcised of heart the way Paul says. Not all, not all uh, Israel is Israel. They'll tell you that, but what, is, what does the word of God say? It's clear. He's making peace. For to make in himself, that is in Christ, of the two, one new man. And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off, and to them that were not, it was the same message to the Jew as it was to the Greek, okay? For through him we both, the Jew and the Greek, have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Now therefore, watch this, because this has implications later on, okay? It's going to be a while before I can get to the implications of this, because I'm still learning some, okay? Now, therefore, ye are no more strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and of the household of God, and are built upon the foundation of the apostles and prophets. What is that? That's the scriptures. Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. We're going to talk about the, him being the stone that the builders rejected uh, in an upcoming message, Lord willing, this coming week, in whom all the building fitly framed together groweth unto a holy temple in the Lord, in whom ye also are builded together for an habitation of God through the Spirit. Wow. 
The work of Christ is clear. It's clear. The only people who don't want to see it are they're spiritually blind or they see it like the Pharisees and they want to destroy anybody who will preach it and who will seek to live it and tell others about it. It's only one or two things. They're either spiritually blind or they see it for what it is and they want to attack it and destroy it and kill it just like these guys did to Jesus. One or the other. And I've seen both. I've interacted with, with people who claim they're Jews. I've seen both of them. I've seen both kinds. So that's the way to do it. Back to Ezekiel 37. We're not going to finish today. I'm going to have to wrap it up here in eight minutes. I, I appreciate your patience and hanging in. You guys have been there. Uh, we'll pick it up from here, though. There's lots more, even though we're nearing the end of Ezekiel 37. Okay, so here's what we see. And David, my servant, shall be king over them. They all shall have one shepherd. They shall all walk in my judgments and observe my statutes and do them. They shall dwell in the land that I have given unto Jacob, my servant, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. <sighs> Again, he's not talking about King David. God gave David a covenant that there would be one who would come he would sit on David's throne and he would rule forever in righteousness. Okay? I want you to look at um, Hebrews chapter 8 because it, it, there is so much going on from Ezekiel where he makes these promises to them. Verse 23, we read it just a moment ago. Neither shall they defile themselves anymore with their idols, with their detestable things, nor with their transgressions. But I will save them out of their dwelling places wherein they have sinned. I will cleanse them so they shall be my people and I'll be their God. He's going to be a king to them. All of this, a shepherd, all of these things. And when you go to a Hebrews chapter 8, here's what you read. Verse 7. Oh, excuse me. Um, let me, let me go up just a second. Verse 6. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry. Who's the he? This is Christ. This is, this is the Jesus that he has been talking about who is superior. Okay? He is superior to all the things of the old covenant. The temple, the priesthood, the utensils, the holy of holies. The altar, the incense. Remember, Jesus says to them, one who is before you is greater than the temple. And that's the argument of the, of the writer book of Hebrews. Everything, even the patriarchs and all that. He says, Christ is superior to all that. You don't need that stuff. It's going to pass away. Here's what he says. But now hath he obtained a more excellent ministry by how much also he is the mediator of a better covenant, which was established upon better promises. For if that first covenant had been faultless, then should no place have been sought for the second. In other words, it wasn't complete. God was teaching the people through that covenant about himself and about his Christ. For finding fault with them, he saith, Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. 
not according to the covenant that I made with their fathers in the day when I took them by the hand to lead them out of the land of Egypt, because they continued not in my covenant. And I regarded them not, saith the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel. And remember, Gentiles are brought into where? The commonwealth of Israel. They're not like second-class citizens. Nope, that's not what we are. We are citizens in the kingdom of God, in the commonwealth of Israel. I will make with the house of Israel after those days, saith the Lord, I will put my laws into their mind, I will write them in their hearts, and I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And remember, when you see that term God, you need to understand it as I will be to them the lawgiver. My law is word. My law is rule. It's not optional. Man doesn't get to alter it. Man doesn't get to throw his petty little statutes and laws in that are against the law of God. They, they don't get to do that. All the nations, see, God looked over that in the past. He even let Israel have their own king, but he gave stipulations and those kings wouldn't follow what God gave them to do, which was to follow his law, to rule in accordance with his law. And they would not do it. They had the perfect law. And they wouldn't do it. All nations are called to obey the king, King Jesus, and his law. That's what they're called to do, right here and right now. And I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. And they shall not teach every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for all shall know me from the least to the greatest. For I will be merciful to their unrighteousness, and their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. In that he saith, a new covenant, he hath made the first old. Okay, so the first covenant that he's talking about is the old covenant. This is the one given at Sinai. This is not, this has nothing to do with the Davidic covenant, has nothing to do with the Abrahamic covenant, has nothing to do with uh, the Adamic covenant. I mean, it has to do with them, but it's not... He's not talking about those. He's just talking about the Old Covenant, the one given at Sinai. And he makes it old. Now that which decayeth and waxeth old, what is that? That's the Old Covenant. They're in an intertest, not an intertestament. They are in a period of transition from the Old Covenant to the New Covenant. It decayeth and waxeth old and is ready to vanish away. Why? Because the new covenant has come, the king has come, his law is to be spread throughout the earth, his kingship is not to be contested by any man, and if it is, it is high treason against the king. And Christ king, Christ king, the king's people, King Jesus, his people, are to push the crown rights of King Jesus upon those who claim that they somehow are in authority, but they're going to rule opposite of what King Jesus says they should rule. That's what upset the first century. Not ear tickling of raptures and stuff. It was, you. there is a king and it's not Caesar. There is a king and it's not Herod. There is a king and it's not Agrippa. It's King Jesus, the one prophesied 
all the way back into the garden in Genesis chapter 3, it was that king who came as Messiah, the anointed one. You remember they anoint kings before they make them kings. That is the king we're talking about. Now, we're down here pretty close to the bottom. What we'll do is we'll cut off here uh, because I got to go and I got to get stuff done. But come back here on Monday, okay? And we'll finish up. We'll do some recap. Look, if you're confused, observer, uh, I don't know. Kingdom theology is flawed. How is it flawed? Uh, I'm, I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I, I don't know if you're talking to someone. I just happened to see that at the bottom. I, I haven't even been able to really pay attention to the chat much, as you guys see. I'm keeping my mind on what I'm doing. Uh, but if you're confused about what I said, uh, the phone lines have been open, so you guys could call. And, and I won't mind stopping if you have a question about what we're talking about. I think that's that's helpful. And I think questions are good. I don't discourage questions, but I'm just saying stick with what we're talking about, not going off into other things right yet. Uh, so we'll, we'll do that. But I'll try to have the phone lines open again on Monday. You can call in if you got a question um, or something like that. Um, well, Observer, here's the problem that you have. And I'm just going to leave you with this. Read Luke 17 and see what God says about the kingdom. You say, if God's kingdom is on earth, now it's not a very good kingdom, is it? Look around. See, you've got the same eyes the Pharisees had. Jesus said, it doesn't come with your eyes. It doesn't come with observation. It's within you. And this is why I think the error of this we're sitting here waiting on things and till then, you know, just the everything's going to hell in the handbasket. It's going to hell in the handbasket because the, the church doesn't recognize who its king is. Oh, they they say he's king, but they don't act like he's king. So that would that would be what I would say to you. Go read Luke chapter 17. See what Jesus says. When you're looking around, what you're seeing is the fruit of a church that's been blinded by this error in which they don't see the king, and they don't push the king and his law and his demands upon those who are the imposters. And I think if you see that, if the Lord's merciful to you like he is to me, and opening up your eyes to see that, then the scriptures start to open up, and you go, oh, oh, I thought this was that. But if you stay in the context, you'll see that things that you've been taught by some of these preachers who preach this other stuff, it all starts to melt away because you stick with the scriptures, okay? And I don't say that to put you down. I'm saying, just read that. I think that'll be helpful to you, okay? All right, I got to go. <laughs> Bradley be with you at three for two hours today. Uh, boy, we went two hours, We went a little over two hours, and I, yeah. I, I like to keep things as concise, but there's just so much coming out of this. Uh, that I want to make sure that we cover it. So we'll pick it up again on Monday, uh, Lord willing, bright and early then. Have a great weekend, a great Lord's Day. Get with some people of God. You know, get with the people who really love the King. Read the scriptures together. Talk about the scriptures together. Pray with one another. Spur one another on to love and good works. Open up your home. Be hospitable. Feed them. Enjoy that time together and worship the Lord together. And uh, be blessed in that. Bradley, again, will be with you at 3, and we'll see you on Monday morning, Lord willing. Adios.